0: The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversation with everyday folks about the mystery of life. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and today on the podcast, I'm connecting with my dear friend, my colleague and collaborator, Holly Trular. Holly and I have been Collapse Prep Buddies for a few years now. Prior to the pandemic, we'd made bug-out plans together, we would discussed various options for co-location, serious considerations and sober conversations about how we might pool resources in collapse times. The thing about collapse, of course, is you can't really be prepared for every situation. You can only strive to be as responsive as possible under any circumstances. So now, under these pandemic circumstances, we're pooling our resources to host the Threshold Community, an online community of practice for preppers wanting to take an intersectional and, you might almost say, I might almost say, a transpersonal approach to collapse. Here's the second part of my conversation with Holly on collapse psychology and why ritual, ceremony, transformative justice, and play are all needed and should be present in our collapse work. Okay, Holly. If you could steal anyone's identity and live their life, who would it be and why? I feel like this is a complicated question, Carmen.
1: For one, like steal, like it's not consensual. No. Okay.
0: And um, another question: altered carbon, where you get their sleeve. Right.
1: Um, Okay. So another question is forever, like for the rest of the life, not for a day. Sleeve. And then the, the other question is, do they become me? Like, does my partner have to hang out with them?
0: Oh, no, this isn't about your partner. No, they just, okay. they, yeah, no, you just assume their, their life.
1: Okay. <clears throat> I have three answers. I will say them quickly. My donkey magic, cause he gets to hang out with Bo all the time. Love the company. Also, he just seems pretty happy. Like, I want, like, what would it be like to be a securely attached happy donkey? Mm -hmm. The second one would be Hecate. I would like to be Hecate, which I was asking the partner question. I was talking to a friend about this, and they were like, is Prescott going to have to deal with this (laughs) person coming? And then they were like, so if it was Hecate, that's just you. Like, that would just be... (laughs)
0: yeah
1: yeah um and then the third one is which i know this you got to go with me for a second trump because a we would learn a lot b i could like i I would be taking one for the team obviously yeah Yeah. but i could like make not absurd decisions
0: right i feel Like, like then you're not assuming his identity Oh, you have to live that. You don't get to like. You're not parasitically. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, not that one.
0: Yeah. No. You're the what you're talking about is like a being John Malkovich situation. (laughs) Okay. But wait. But what about you? Whose identity would you steal and take on? Number one, Roxanne Gay, (laughs) because she's just a person of such towering intellect who must walk the streets with feminists dropping and taking a knee constantly she just must have adoring just legions of adoring brilliant people it's yeah. like and so there's that saying i think it's tolkien who said the praise of the praiseworthy is beyond all reward and i there's some like pretty praiseworthy people that are pretty in love with Roxanne Gay. And I just Mm. would love to be her. Plus she loves to cook. So I would still have that whole part of me. And, um, you know, I, and then I'd be good at Scrabble. I just, I feel, I like how Scrabble is part of your, like, it's like a big part. You're, yeah, this is a way better be answer than, I than Donald Trump. More, though. I also have two more. Oh, the other uh, person I would love to be is Patty Scialfa, who is Bruce Springsteen's wife. <laughs> and I okay. just don't have to explain that. Like, okay. <laughs> that is like that's my gimme. And the last one, now that you mention it, is I would like to be my dog Mona because she also has. Um, overcome trauma and earn secure attachment and is like belly rubs and people are always telling her how beautiful she is. Right? Um, God, my people are so awesome. They love me so much. I'm just like- Now so you're I'm just talking yourself up. <laughs> 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 you're like, and hanging yeah. out with Carmen all yeah, the time? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. But I I think Roxanne Gay is like, I. that is totally the life. I, yeah, i just- That would be amazing. Okay, so I'm really happy that we're back. Part two of our conversation about the uh, nine monthly themes that we're working on in the Threshold community. One thing I wanted to um, uh, kind of introduce to frame out our conversation is this isn't a course. I've had a few people ask me like, oh, what's the curriculum? Or like, you know, how do we learn all the the things? And it's like, you know, Collapse is really a way of being, and it 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 it's a lifetime of learning. You know, it 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 and so what we're trying to do is community. We're we're yeah. trying to find community around collapse, and there are some important. Um, Uh, skills that we can build up much more swiftly together and skills we could practice together that we may not be able to practice in place with the people that we, we have around us, or, (laughs) you know, the tools that we have available to us. Um, But this isn't a, you know, a curriculum. We are going to learn a lot of things, but we can't teach everybody all about collapse in a month. That's why we're cycling through the themes. (laughs) And and they are all ever present all the time, every month. And uh, I just wanted to kind of foreground that uh, because you're you're sharing a lot about what we're going to do, but it's not a course. Right. And I also want to point out that
1: the nature of collapse is very transitory mm-hmm. and movable. And so a syllabus wouldn't even, what, what like, oh, January 6th, we're going to study this. Collapse is like, ha, have yeah.
0: you, you know? Yeah, so. totally. And, and there are definitely um, most promising practices, but there are no best practices because, you know, we are living in unprecedented times as we you know, continue to have the opportunity to say, it seems like month after month, oh, new precedents. So um, let's continue with our overview. So the next theme that uh, I wanted to ask you about um, is the grief and death work. That's one of our monthly themes. And I feel like it's maybe a little bit on the nose to like, there's an obvious correlation between (laughs) collapse and grief and death work. So I don't know how much we want to get into it in detail here. Please, you know, say whatever you'd like. But my more pressing question is, um, as the partner of a green burial funeral home director, what are your thoughts on how we do a good death in pandemic times?
1: Yeah, this is a good question. At first, I do want to say something about grief and death overall, which is just that for me, this is really my jam. Like, th- this is the root of my work and being in life. Like, I, I'm pretty sure I was put here to be a grief tender. And I came to collapse through grief. And my most basic or deepest training, I think, is in grief tending. And so I i am really interested in deepening this conversation a- around all of this. And I think it's so necessary for these times. And like you said, don't need to go too much into that, but I just really want to give a plug for grief. Like, yeah. you know, um, and then, so the question, how do we have a good death in COVID times? Yeah. One thing that comes up for me around this is I don't know, that we fully can. And I want, I think it's important to sit with the grief of what social distancing is, or the fact that we can't travel to the funeral of someone that we love. And I think one of the important things we can do though, is if we're planning a memorial, or we know somebody's dying, is we can literally walk ourselves or other people through what we wish could happen versus what's happening. And that's one way to acknowledge, you know, what, what we're losing in these times. And also, mm, like, walk our psyche through what we want, how we want to be with people. Uh, so that's one part of it. Can I yeah?
0: add to that a little bit? I just want to say I also think that's really important. And from a... Um, I guess you could say, psycho-spiritual or uh, ritual perspective, which I I think is maybe connected to my jam, in a way, is one of the reasons I'm here, Um, is I also believe that's really important because, well, as we know, mirror neurons, right? As soon as you start talking about what we wish could happen, there's... Imagery, there's felt sense, there's emotion, there, and there is the sense of um, that is happening now in the collective consciousness. Yeah. We've named it and we've brought it forward. And to be honest, I, I can't imagine, like, as an animist, I'm really not sure what we and our descendants are going to be faced with with all of the unacknowledged losses of COVID, if people aren't doing that, if people are not walking their dead through all of the rituals that we wish could have happened, it's like then it really didn't happen. Whereas at yeah. least if we can name it and take people through the story, it's just it's like weaving any kind of myth work. We do that because it, punctuates and imprints and shapes the collective and it shapes our memories and, and it, it may not be as good as doing it, but it's better than not doing it because the not doing it is kind of the gaping wound, the sucking chest wound that will be, you know, the 30 decades of trauma after, or sorry, three decades of trauma after COVID where the generation's Finally, have to catch up to all the undone spiritual maintenance. So um, I think it's really important what you just said. Yeah, um,
1: and it also, and maybe you were totally touching on this, but it uh, keeps the living memory of these rituals, mm-hmm. right? It and um, the other, I guess, the other piece. Just about this question at large is around we, even not in COVID times, we typically don't do good deaths. Mm -hmm. And so we need to talk about what a good life and a good death even means. And so, speaking of like green burial, there's so much we don't know about even just being with a body, like a, a dead body. One of the things my partner does is body care with the dead. And so really washing and anointing and walking a family through being able to touch the body. And like, I don't know how many people know this. We really don't need to embalm bodies or not much at all. There's very few circumstances where we need to, and it's really harmful in a lot of different ways. And so I'm saying that all to say just looking in general at what we want when we die or somebody we love dies. There's a really good book called Reimagining Death. It's by Lucinda Herring, who also I think has some um, thing in her organization name with Threshold. So I'm like, yes. (laughs) Um, anyways, but so, you know, in general, I think this is also just a question of, how and how do we have what does a good death mean and then if we do walk through what that would mean not in COVID times and really sit with that then I think we can get really creative about the ways that we hold each other during COVID or other forms of collapse where we couldn't otherwise Um, and we can't do that if we don't have a baseline that's even slightly healthy Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I'm curious if you have any other thoughts around this.
0: Well, I will, uh, do a shout out to Sarah Kerr, who, um, uh, what's her soul I think, uh, she's a death doula and, um, I, I can't actually remember off the top of my head what this training was, but I can't remember the title, but she has a number of workshops and courses and things. And this one was a good death in COVID times, basically. And one of the participants uh, was a funeral director in Australia somewhere, who said that they are um, doing body care over Zoom for family members. And then they actually leave the room and the family members are all over the world but then at some point one designated person will text the funeral director who can then go back in and and so they even are providing privacy for people to sit uh, with bodies and i was so moved at how um, creative and deeply concerned the uh, death care provider was and that they are being as creative as possible, and if anything, she said, um, you know people are just generally not great at discussing and planning for death anyway, and yeah. so she almost wished more people were open to doing this over zoom and and you know in in just in any circumstances, so that kind of made me a bit sad that it was like, oh you there is an alternative. It may not be as good, but you're saying that people wouldn't even want to do it if it was available to them. That makes me very sad. So um, yeah, yeah, I, I think, so on the one hand, you know, intuition, spirituality, that's my jam, but collapse in many ways is my jam, (laughs) like kind of prepping and um, being creative. I do, I, I, well, you and I have, discussed it to a certain extent. We could keep going on late into the night with whiskey about whether or not hope is something that Mm. is not needed. (laughs) And I, you've, you've evolved more than I have on this, but, um, but I am still pretty like, you know, it's great work if you can get it. But if you don't have uh, hope, I I feel like I'm one of those people who's like hope is not necessary to proceed. There are other kind of um, virtues that drive me more And, um, I'm very driven by, uh, needing to model, a a kind of, um, integrity of living for my child. And, um, you know, when I say descendants, I actually kind of fully expect that my child is the last of my descendants. (laughs) Like that, that kind of is just, And it's not like I'm not sad about that, but it's also not devastating for me. So I think that's another way that I just know, like, collapse is kind of in my DNA. And so when I think about um, how can we have a good death in COVID, I actually am thinking about it in any other kind of uh, collapse scenario, which is... know try to anticipate but the best you can do is be responsive you have to be creative you have to be able to meet the moment and and um, i do think that being intuitive and having access to spiritual technologies like having relationship with ancestors and allies and you know the other than human the more is the way that we can um, give people a good death when we can't do the things that our human bodies are used to being able to do, which is like cry together, hug together, gather together, eat the food together. <laughs> you know, like, um, I, you know, when those things aren't available to us, we have to, I think, um, shift into other modes of knowing, and there, and it's very important to me for the descendants and the future generations and the planet in general, that we don't um, become kind of a, a middle world of, of walking dead and, and you know, hungry ghosts where we can't tell the dead from the living because everyone's so, you know, shell-shocked. I, that sounds poetic in some ways or metaphorical, but I, 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 I don't see it as that. I think when we don't have um, ritual, uh, spiritual orientation, it is like shell shock. It's PTSD. It is like, it doesn't surprise me that people wind up, um, in a long-term deep freeze response. And so these are ways that we can, um, work through that because why would we burden young people with that? Why would we burden the other species with that? Why would we, why would we do that? So, um, yeah, I think a good death is going to look very different and it's going to be creative and it's not going to be as good, you know. Not that we ever did it great in my lifetime anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I a couple things come up for me. One is I I actually think COVID is a really good, let's say excuse to plan and talk about what if this happened, what if that happened, and one of the things that I think can help us have a good death is by letting the people we letting the people we love know what we might want mm-hmm. and that if we're still here we will tend to them and and their wants while they're on the other side. So it brings me into this other piece of I'm a really big fan of after death care. After death care being a year later, 10 years later, how do we tend to our ancestors, even our recent ancestors. So for instance, my sister Ivy died a year ago and a big skill that I was like, I can I can do this is I will tend to her now and forevermore for the rest of the time I'm alive. And what that means is that I keep her on my altar. I read her poetry. I packed up her things in the most loving way possible. I respected her privacy in the ways that I could. I sat down with her before she died and said, what songs do you want played at your funeral? If we can play songs, you know, what food do you want? And not only did that build intimacy between us, but it was so helpful when she did die. And so I'm just a really big fan of like, it's not a one off. Like, you know, there's this idea that like a good death is like kind of right before you die and then the funeral. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, I just, I want to move away from that. And I think that collapse gives us um, a reason to do that because there's going to be times where we can't tend to the body or in that moment. And so then we're going to have to say, but I can bury this, you know, object in honor of, and maybe it's a month later. Um, so that's something I feel really strongly about. And then I, I, I have to talk about hope. <laughs> um, um, so I want to say, I actually think we're really similar in that I'm not, um, I, I don't think it's necessary to proceed either I think that it can really give people an excuse to not take action that's needed. And that is problematic. I feel really hesitant about the way that the collapse community has turned hope into a four letter word. Like, Oh, Oh, you have to be hope free. And, and like, how dare, like, even if you say, like, if I say the word hope, it's like, (gasps) right. And I, I think that what's important is what we put our hope into.
0: Mm.
1: And so I'll give another example around my sister uh, lived with a disability and chronic illness, and so, in some ways, I knew she was going to die and and there was years where um she was very sick, and I was like, she has to get better, she has to get better and finally, one day, I was like, "Oh, she's not gonna get better um, and but I didn't then just abandon hope. My hope then went to. I hope she has a good death. I hope we connect more before she dies. So it—it was—it's like reasonable hope, or—or or, you know—is what I'm really into. Um, because if I kept hoping that she would just get better, or putting all this energy into it, when unless a miracle happened, it wasn't going to happen. It was a lot of unhelpful energy, and it was unhelpful to her when she's like, "I'm dying." right? And I'm like the only person in her life that's like, yeah, you're dying, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I still had hope. I still have hope around her and I's relationship. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't have that, I might not be able to keep going. And Mm -hmm. so in that way, I think hope can be helpful. That's my my hope spiel.
0: Well, and I also just want to say, you know, people have a lot to learn from you about how to do a good death when you're not the person who's dying, right? Like when you're the person left behind. And so I'm looking forward to, um, in the more intimate community of the Threshold community, not on a podcast, but really talking about um, the the grief and and witnessing group um, that you had in the year afterwards. And we're going to have. Um, some structure or some support to help folks uh, who might want to learn how to convene and facilitate or host a, a grief and witnessing pod or practice circle or something like that. Um, other things that are a little more kind of brass tacks around grief and death and in um, a collapse area that I'm excited about with the Threshold community is uh, will parties and advanced directives workshops, like in terms of like, okay, yeah. if we're all going to sit down and we're going to like look at our wills again and like, let's, you know, do some advanced directives if you haven't. Um, I tried to get will party like on the calendar in my, with my friends and people and people just did not think that would be a good time. I was like, really? And then Ruben and I had friends over for dinner and they weren't even like super close friends, but we actually strategically thought for some reason that would actually be good for uh, witnessing our wills. And so they like, Literally came over just for like a couple's dinner party. And just as we sat down to dinner, we're like, hey, would you mind signing signing? (laughs) You like tricked them into yeah. We did say, Hey, would you would you be willing to like witness um as we sign some documents? And they're like, Oh, sure. And then we're like, So this is our will (laughs) Okay. It's like we invited you to the party and you didn't want to come, but since you're here for dinner, anyway, I am I am looking forward to um also some of the like practicalities of like, let's do this together and and, um, just get it done, right? So we've kind of already drifted into it, but the the next month um, after our grief and death work theme is around ritual and ceremony. We've talked a little bit about it already, but um, is there anything more you want to say about why ritual and ceremony are important uh, collapse practices? Sure. I mean, this is the way that
1: we can regulate the collective nervous system the most effectively. So when we're moving together, we're singing or humming together, we're working with symbols, and we have a collective purpose, all these different things can help regulate a large body of people, uh, which is really important and needed in collapse, right? The other thing is, there's gonna be a lot happening that feels bottomless and immense, and it is immense. And so when we have a container, such as ritual, different practices, that can help us to know that it's gonna be okay, um, or that there's something that can hold this, at least for now, then we can actually move forward, or then we can actually deepen into grief. I think a lot of people don't explore, let's say grief, Uh, amongst other things because we just don't even know how without it overwhelming us and ritual and ceremony help us to be able to place these things. And then the last thing is it's like good manners. Uh, So um, there's offerings that we, in my opinion, need to make to the more than human world. And we do this a lot, or I do this a lot through ritual and ceremony. And You know, this is a way that our psyches can speak or understand things on a much deeper level. But when I say our psyches, I mean even the larger psyche of the world, right? And so we have to do these things in order to communicate and create reciprocity, I think, especially in these times. I'm curious for you, Carmen, like what... what else you think around this, but also what you're most looking forward to around ritual and ceremony?
0: Well, there's, yeah, I also have a few things that um, come up for me when I think about why ritual and ceremony are important collapse skills. One is that, um, I think it's Joseph Campbell who said like ritual is us keeping up our end of the conversation with spirit, you know, spirit appears or speaks or is like moving through our lives and this is how we respond and say like hey i got your mail um and so as we practice that not only are we um yeah having good manners in relationship with the more, but also we're preparing you know we're we're preparing us for some kind of ancestral memory so that when we get to the other side of the river you know, when we are no longer embodied, we, we are part of a lineage of shared language. So we will wake up <laughs> to, they're singing my name, or they're singing my medicine song, or they're putting my favorite food down, you know, like, we still got to be able to get the mail, right? Be like, oh, there's a message for me. So um I think it's important to have shared language before and after death. Um, you know, Rumi, I think, right, talks about we need to die before we die so we can live well. And I think we need to die before we die so we know what to do when we are ancestors to heed the call of, of those in need. And we have, um, we're more fluent in our shared language with our descendants. Um, the other thing is that, you know, there are a, form or like one of the practices of undertaking rites of passage so in order for us to accomplish our developmental tasks to become the adults in the room we have to you know understand the the use of the spiritual technologies of ritual and ceremony and they are how we punctuate our stages of development our maturity you know on the human journey so this is how we can, you know, um, accomplish tasks or go through major transitions or, you know, have um, growth spurts and know that we are different now than we were then because we have these moments in time that are punctuated. And so if we don't have those ceremonial punctuations, then what happens is we're always kind of looking around being like, am I there yet? Like, am I the adult now? (laughs) Or like, have I is it okay for me to step up to the podium or should I be leading this right now? Like, you know, it's like, we, we won't be embodied and comfortable in our spiritual skin or we, we won't be able to have the confidence and the, um, inner authority to know what needs to be done when it needs to be done. If we haven't practiced and we aren't, you know, fluent with that. Um, The third thing is they are a way to schedule our spiritual maintenance, right? And so uh, we have led uh, the time of this recording, one of our new moon vigils, which is our threshold community, um, no charge event for the public. And literally it's like, so we're gonna come together. We'll like open with a little poem, you know, an invitation if you want to have a, a practice, And then just some music's going to play, the altar will be on Zoom, and we're just going to go into some grief tending. Wow, does it ever feel great to just schedule half an hour a month to list all of the unacknowledged grief and (laughs) be like, let it all out and not have that backlog that can really surprise us with dysregulation and kind of spontaneous or like, you know, um, flooding of emotion, sometimes it's grief, sometimes it's anger, sometimes it's irritability, when we're not doing that sort of constant tending of our spiritual maintenance, then yeah, we're just like way less regulated people um, individually and way less self-attuned. So um, having regular observances is just like, it's just like booking a regular appointment with your GP or your dentist or, you know, like, whatever right so um so I think I think that's really important I'm definitely looking forward to um our monthly vigils I'm also really looking forward to this winter solstice December 21st um I'm like I I have done solstice events you know and I've been like called in to lead them and stuff like that um but having like a a bunch of like (laughs) grief-soaked, collapse-aware, <laughs> trauma-informed people to hang out with on Solstice December 21st. That just sounds like the best way <laughs> for me to spend, you know, that, that dark time. How about you, Holly? What are you looking forward to?
1: I'm really looking forward to being, as we were saying earlier, creative around how we can do ritual both apart and together, right? So I can think of all these ways where either at the same time of the day or we just commit to, okay, on whatever land I'm on, I'm going to go do this. Uh, Still really potent um, and just, yeah, wanting to really see what comes, what's dreamt through us, especially since I I believe that most ritual is dreamt through us from the land. Mm. And so it'll be so interesting to see, feel, experience, what all the different land bases are dreaming mm-hmm. through this communal body. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm just really stoked on that. And when you were talking, what I really heard you saying overall is like, this conversation around collapse, around climate crisis, around uh, even social justice is this huge conversation uh, that's happening all the time and we have to listen, right? And I just hear you saying like, this is how we listen. It it also reminds me like, you know, when you haven't caught up with a friend in a really long time, like, I don't know what happened between you and I. And then it's like, all of a sudden you have to talk for six hours. (laughs) Um, Like what I hear you saying is uh, let's not do that as much So that there isn't this backlog, right? Like let's continually participate in the largest conversation of our times Mm
0: -hmm. uh,
1: so that we can actually go deeper and both um, pull from our ancestral lineages, the words, uh, and also create new words that are needed. And really um, have these active conversations all the time, every day or every month you know, during the vigil. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just looking forward to all of that, but really like how we can bring together all these different voices and people, um, in a, in hopefully a coherent
0: way. Mm -hmm. We'll see. No, I, I mean, well, what's more coherent than saying, okay, everybody, we're all going to face the sunrise on this day at whatever time it's happening. And, you know, see what, I mean, you know, that's like a beautiful way to um, get everybody into synchrony. I love that. Thank you. So you touched on it uh, where you at least said the words transformative justice. That's the next month's cycle. Um, Can we talk about white woman sisterhoods? And in this case, quite specifically, a white woman collapse sisterhood (laughs) that we will have some men in it too uh but you know some potential problems with this community we seek to create what with us both being white women leading this community and uh, being a pretty um homogenous looking pair yeah
1: (laughs) Well, well this you know reminds me of the google doc or something where it was like concerns and the top thing (laughs) I think I listed was we're two white women and you were like (laughs)
0: true (laughs) you know like that was like the main concern was like does the world need another community led by white women (laughs) right yeah
1: it's a legit concern I can tell you some of my concerns Mm -hmm. um one is just potential for harm because of my own lack of awareness around, yeah, wording things, resources, um, what's actually helpful. Can Um, I also just
0: say, statistically, (laughs) and there's like, based on no study, but only on the experience of every Black woman I've ever known who's cared to share this with me, I know I'm going to cause harm. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's just whiteness is a motherfucker right as Desiree would say so yeah like I, it 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 sickens me to know going in someone's gonna get hurt um and yet there's something necessary about proceeding and just doing the best not to but it's probably gonna happen
1: Yeah. And, and so the other two concerns, well, there's more than two, but I'm just thinking of two right now. One is intellectualizing an experience that's actually happening for other people. Mm -hmm. Right. Because uh, as two white women, there's things, you know, I always tell people, I'm like, not only is collapse happening, but it's happened
0: Mm-hmm. for a lot
1: of people. And we need to recognize that. And it's happening on a daily basis for a lot of people. This is not an intellectual mm-hmm. exercise. And I think that's becoming more and more clear for people, but there's still things that, you know, we could pontificate on that, that are not a lived experience and, and that can cause harm,
0: right. Mm-hmm. Or just totally miss the mark. Um so that's, mm-hmm. that's one thing. Can I say this in other words, too, just because, I, yeah. you know, we've said, let, let's not intellectualize. And that's a problem that I have and that I'm concerned about is um, even using inaccessible language. So basically, Indigenous folks have lived through genocide, which is another form of collapse. And uh, communities are still here to tell the tale. And so that's, that really... It, who, that's who should be teaching us about how to be resilient. And, um, so this, I just want to like put an even finer point on it, that there are lots of other people who should be, uh, leading a community. Why then, like, would I proceed? Um, I have the privilege to be able to do so. <laughs> like, right. Literally, right. it's like, and- it's paying down some, some privilege. Like there's just not, people who are in collapse and surviving collapse have a lot of really important things to do besides teach white people how to avoid what (laughs) is coming. Right. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Well, and, and there's a couple things here for me, like, first I want to say there are going to be people in this community that aren't white people. Right. I mean, that's part of what we're talking about. And I, and I don't want to forget that unfortunately fortunately because of both of our privilege we have access to skills and education and that some other people don't right and so to well and networks
0: Jesus, yeah networks that we can tap into because of that that very same privilege so we can like hopefully be some do some connecting work that would require years and so much labor and emotional labor, again, because of the harm that, that would most likely befall people of color who would be trying to do something that we're, we're doing like this. And I'm not saying that um, they, they shouldn't and aren't out there, but it is one of the things that is very real is like folks who are still recovering from genocide have a lot on their plate. And so you and I can be like, Hey, we have this idea. Let's do this thing and can like pick that up pretty quick. And the doors open for us. That's just not the case.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, let's, uh, people in Flint, Michigan don't have clean water right now. So they're not attending, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a threshold online community. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's mostly communities of color that are experiencing that right now, right? Like they're (laughs) literally in collapse. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And have been for years.
1: Totally. The the other concern I have is around, particularly as we're talking about transformative justice. So white people suck at accountability. And I mean that in a couple ways. So A, just actually being like, okay, I want to be accountable. But then even when that's somebody has that wish. Um, We also don't know how to do that in a way that's not, you know, canceling, treating somebody like they're disposable, still having some kind of compassion and care. And I want to be clear, there are times where somebody's causing harm over and over and over. They are made aware of it, and they're not willing to change, right? That's, and, and then there do need to be very strong boundaries. That person needs to go in timeout, right? <laughs> um, what i but I mean, even when somebody is trying, and maybe they're stumbling, maybe because of whiteness, right? Or or they we just don't know. But the way that we that we don't have systems of accountability, really. I I have to say, embarrassingly, until a couple years ago, I didn't even know what it meant to like be like. Hey, Carmen, which I did this to you recently, will you be my accountability partner for this specific thing? And here's what that looks like. Um, Once a month, we'll check in about this. If I'm not doing these things, please tell me, right? Like, I guess I just didn't even know that was a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have some concern around how we can walk through that uh, in a way that's not dehumanizing. And I feel like what's happened in, let's say, progressive circles is uh, white people who are trying to do anti-racism work, which is needed and great, uh, then well be caring or try to be caring towards Black, Indigenous people of color. But when it comes to other white people, we Mm. just shit on each other. Mm. And I've come to a place where I really feel like a large part of my anti-racism work is holding space for other white people and being caring uh, in addition to the other stuff I'm doing. And so I'm saying that partially what I think, while I think there's things that were that are could be problems, I also think that we have this real opportunity to create systems of accountability that work within a community. And to like, I see you, Carmen, as somebody that I have a level of secure attachment with, and I know you're not going to just shit on me or cancel me. Like I know that in my bones, right? Because I am going to fuck up. You are going to fuck up. But I also know that like, when that happens, you're going to hold me with love and, but hold me accountable with love. And so that's what, that's what I'm really interested in, and I'm sure there will be issues in that. Like I said, I don't even have the imagination. I don't trust the white imagination and I don't even have the imagination to know what it would really look like in some ways. And, and, and I trust you and I to a certain degree and I trust actually the people who have said they want to be in this community, some, some of which are white and some of which are not, Uh, To hold us accountable and to give feedback and when it when they feel like they can. And so I'm actually really excited about that. I just feel like we need so many more maps and models around how we do this when we do cause hurt and or harm.
0: Yeah, and this is, you know, it's a very brave thing for any person of color to participate in a group or community where Um, the, the, the hosts are white and you and I have pledged to each other that like, if you are, if you fuck up or if something happens and you cause harm, I'm going to be beside you. I'm going to sit in the shit with you. And yeah, not only is there no canceling, there's, I am signing up to be right beside you and, you know, speak your name, not in defense of you. But as you sit in receiving the feedback of there has been harm. And, you know, maybe we should share just a little bit about um, some of the structures of accountability. So there's you and I and, you know, our ongoing stuff, but um, we are also um, still looking for our um, supervisor. Do you want to say anything about what we're doing there?
1: Yeah, I think... We were both kind of independently looking for likely like a a femme, black, somatic, attachment-based therapist or practitioner of some sort to get supervision from um, and learn from. Both kind sure. of recognizing there were gaps in. And this is for
0: our professional. This is yeah. like before attending or the the threshold community. It was like, so this is a gap in my clinical practice, and you know, the, there are um, situations where I would like to like process and receive feedback, and like, how you know, like, what could I be doing better here because um, being supervised by white people, like sometimes. I know I've had this experience and I think you have too where you like take something to your supervisor and you're like so I I committed harm I perpetuated or this was a microaggression and I've been like here's the email thread that I have permission to share with you and they're like I don't see it. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> I know
1: or even worse like where you I've had the experience of being at something and having a, a supervisor of sorts, like literally me being like, you caused harm. Yes. Right. And yeah, and yeah. not saying that I have it all figured out because I don't, but and then being like, yeah, I need maybe not a different supervisor, but an additional yes. um, supervisor. And I need to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Like I don't want um this person to have to deal with my whiteness non-consensually or without reciprocity. AKA being paid. So anyways, we, I think you had brought it, I had been looking, you brought something to me. And then I was like, what if we did this together? Kind of like couples therapy, but.
0: (laughs) Quick two minute break for the mid roll ad, and then we'll be back with Holly. If you've listened to the numinous podcast for a while, you know that I normally lead a 12 day rite of passage called the numinous quest. And in that 12 days, questers would be taught how to shelter in place in the backcountry wilderness with only a tarp, sleeping bag, first aid kit, and water. So in the first four days, they were taught ancestral skills that would allow them to know not only how to survive out there, but also mature spiritually and return as an adult that their community can count on. Then they would go out for their four days of fasting alone in the wilderness. So I was leading this work because I knew that one day soon, we'd need more adults in the room when the shit really started to hit the fan with collapse. Most of us are not initiated adults. We haven't experienced rites of passage and rituals that would give us not only a felt sense of confidence, but a proven competence in a life or death situation. Now, obviously, I can't replicate that experience online in these pandemic times. But you know what? The information, the theoretical underpinnings, and the spiritual lessons remain important. And guess what? A pandemic is its own kind of rite of passage. It's still a good idea to have some information and guidance and eldering available to you as you navigate this particular type of emergency. So check out the Numinous Quest online under the Courses tab on my website, CarmenSpaniola.com. This fall, we're plunging into the task of initiating our inner adolescent, the one who's both rebel and reluctant, creative innovator, and saboteur, stuck in the quagmire of emotion. If your inner adolescent needs some eldering and guidance right now, this program's for you. Registration is now open and closes September 11th. Check it out under the Courses tab at carmenspaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Do you also want to talk about our
1: advisory council? Sure. Um, Yeah, one of the things that I know I need um, is people who will give me feedback, you know, consensually. And so we are inviting some different folks in with with different backgrounds, different um, identities that can give us, um, that can fill in the gaps in our awareness. And so these are people that either, well, mostly the hope is that we've either built deep relationship with, so there's reciprocity there and it's not just um, consuming, right? So as an example, yeah, I think I feel comfortable sharing this. One of my really good friends lives with a chronic illness and has a lot of um, information experience around um, disability justice. And this is a gap in my awareness somewhat. I'm learning uh, and we meet and talk and give each other time and love all the time. And so I feel really comfortable, you know, saying when when you feel a when it feels appropriate, please share with me where we're not uh, meeting you mm-hmm. there. And so there's going to be a few different people like mm-hmm.
0: that. Uh, I'm going to invite you, Holly, to give me some feedback about a gap in my awareness with something that I just said that was ableist in the last little bit. <laughs> I didn't D- uh, hear until you said it a couple of times.
1: What What was it? Was it, well, was it, I mean, I think often people use the word crazy. Um, no, I
0: use the word blind spot. And oh, you're using gap in, in your awareness and it's like so beautiful. And I'm like, I can feel myself kind of shrinking a little bit, but I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm working on that one. Uh, so I, I had a like really tiny collapse response where I, I was listening to you, but I had to like activate my feet so I could stay with you and not. Like shame spiral that I was like, "Oh God, I just said something that was like ableist just now. Yeah, well, <laughs> so now people yeah, exactly, uh, but I you know i'm I, I recognize that that happened, and you know here I am with you, and it's really nice to be with you and be able to say, and I hey, still love you. you thank you, yeah, yeah, a lot, yeah, and I and. And thanks for giving me the model of gap in my awareness rather than um, using language that could be really alienating for people who can't see.
1: Well, and I think this is just as a side note, something in the collapse community, there's so much ableism. Mm -hmm. And I really, I'm very interested in how we can make this conversation as accessible as possible to anybody who wants to join it. Because I know having had a sister who was living with a disability and chronic illness. There's so many things that I look at and I'm just like that it would have been so inaccessible and shaming for her and horrible or this good friend of mine who I love. I feel lucky that they trust me enough to let me know right like um, you know in this kind of community or even the permaculture community they've told me like They're like, oh my gosh, this is so ableist. And there's so many things that we don't even realize. Like, you know, when we're talking about prepping, there's so many reasons why people can't prep in certain ways. And so can we widen our awareness around the ways around the skills that are actually needed and necessary for collapse and so what i mean around that is like i think creativity is such an important offering to a collapse community i think relational skills are such an important offering to a community and so often in prepper communities i see people really focusing on physical things physical skills And it's just not helpful. It's just not supportive. I mean, if people want to explore that, great. We can explore that some. But I also want to explore all the ways that people who live differently, um, often not by choice because of the oppressive systems, what they have to offer us is that they're like, Oh, yeah, I know how to get creative. Oh, yeah, I know how to work within a system that really isn't built for me and is, you know, collapsing on a daily basis for me. So mm-hmm. I want to learn from them. So, anyways, that's what this advisory council um, is to me. And it, it just feels, uh, it's such a gift actually to us. Um, and so I, I really want to say too the hope is that this is reciprocal within this, that, that we are offering reciprocity there. And that is what we're going to try to do.
0: Mm -hmm. The, the transformative justice, uh, month is, I'm really looking forward to it, um, for many reasons, but also because within the context of collapse, this is an area where like, I straight up don't have a lot of hope. And so I'm looking forward to it as a boost, (laughs) like Mm. maybe, you know, some possibility models. I I guess what I would say is like, and I've had people ask me this, like, you know, well, how are we going to prepare in light of like, but you know, what do we do when you have a disability? And to be honest, I'm like, well, there's the world we want. And then there's the world we're going to get. I I'm, I've been very fearful for years about um, not, the increase, but rather the scaling back of rights for oppressed peoples. For, you know, I, I'm extremely worried uh, about people with disabilities and chronic illnesses who are going to fall through the gaps because we are doing too little at the last moment, you know, like and we are seeing it now with COVID. People are literally dying that shouldn't have to. And so this is, this is it's like this is the world that we are getting. That will not prevent me though, from fighting for the world that I think we should have there's just a fitness of things there's a there's a moral imperative, and I need to like gather some people with me because i honestly i i'm not it, it, like seeing the mutual aid that yeah um, kicked into gear pretty immediately, like right on our block and in my city and, you know, neighborhood city at all the levels was the best thing I'd seen in a long time in terms of disability, uh, justice, um, and accessibility justice and those kinds of things. Now I'm like, okay, I've got a bit of fire in me. I've got some, um, possibility models now, but I'm really looking forward to more because my, um, Fear of like despotism and the the collapsing state is is it has been in the past very overwhelming it hasn't stopped me from you know <laughs> trying to to support, but um I'm really looking forward to possibility models so creativity creativity and play are your jam and you were <laughs> like really I was like, maybe I could put that under ritual. You were like, no. <laughs> so, I was like but like but. you were kind of like I
1: don't know about this like, yeah I was you were like, like
0: maybe creativity we could have art but then it's so so for those of us who um are not totally clear on what play is <laughs> I, mean, like, I don't remember maybe it never was a period of our childhood uh what is it <laughs> like what yeah. do you mean why why yeah. is creativity and play one of our months
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess I want to say I am no expert on this. I am also (laughs) afflicted with colonization and uh, white imagination. And uh, I guess how I define play is unstructured time with very little goals. Um, So maybe that's kind of a simple uh, way to put it. And then yeah, I, I include creativity here. I think it's so important. When I think about this, I'm thinking about like um, futurism and um, you know people like uh, Octavia Butler, you know, who are have dreamt into the future and are creating new narratives for us to really feel into. So I'm super excited about that. There's like some dream people I'd like to bring on, but mm-hmm. I'm too. Um, shy to like say their names right now but um but so i'm going to write them like a fan girl email and be like please um but within play the thing okay so i have delineated in my mind and maybe somebody else has done this like in a book or something but i've delineated four types four i don't want to say levels of of play And so these are, yeah, so these are partially, uh, through the developmental span. Like if we're talking about developmental psychology. And so the first one is individual play. We're just playing with ourselves. I want to give a shout out. I think this can include like sex and pleasure doesn't have to, but that's something I'd be interested in talking in community about Mm -hmm. in ways that feel, um, safe or non-harmful. Um, but, uh, so there's individual play, which like I think ritual can be play, right? Or sure. going on a hike can be play or being with your animals can be play. Um, but the next level is parallel play. And so in developmental psychology, that is when two people are playing next to each other, but they're not really playing with each other. Now we do this as adults. We They're like, this is developmentally like two to four years old or something like that. I'm like, yeah, this is like what most like white people do all the time, which is like, biking next to each other, <laughs> skiing, like, but not actually talking, right. Or like running together, but you can't talk because you're out of breath or just all kinds of ways that we do this. And I, I'm not saying it's bad. So I think the goal is to be able to do to shift between these types of play. So most of us can do individual play to a degree, maybe not you, Carmen,
0: but no, I, I, I can, because okay. oh. well, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I I, I think love, you're actually really like, playful. I am pretty yeah, like I like to tinker and, and putter and And you're super creative. I like, I'm, I'm I'm quite creative with like making yeah. things.
1: So there's individual parallel and then the next level is um what I would call collaborative, right? So it's like you're playing with someone else. Like you and I putting this community together in some mm-hmm. ways is collaborative play, right? Mm-hmm. Or um we see animals do this all the time, right? Like they'll play with dogs
0: wrestling
1: totally right there and and humans do it too um at sometimes and i just want to say i've learned a lot by watching animals play so like when bow and magic my mule and donkey play my whatever Mm -hmm. the animals i'm guardians of Mm -hmm. um bows twice Magic's size and he will um scaffold the play. So, you know, he'll make it so that magic can continue without getting hurt. And animals do this all the time. Like they've watched bears and a larger bear will literally like take one of its arms out so Aww. that they can continue to play. So, uh, I just, I think that that's one map we could follow. Um, and so, you know, we can get to this level of collaborative play sometimes. And then the, the other level of play I would call communal and or cooperative and this is when we're actually in my mind creating something through our play so again play doesn't really have a goal but what i mean is there's like a larger purpose to it so for me in this community i really want to try to get towards like creative cooperative play where we can start to move with each other and figure out what's needed next and I think play is such an important collapse skill Because what are you doing during play? You're moving with what's happening, right? You don't know necessarily what's going to happen next. You watch kids play and all of a sudden they're like, and now this character, this blue monster just walked in and we're going to respond to it, right? Which is exactly what happens in collapse. All of a sudden something's just happened and we have to learn how to move with it. And I'm not making light of, of something really scary and serious, but I am saying if we could learn to respond sometimes playfully, then we have a much better chance. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know, I could go on and on, because I love this idea, this this experience of creativity and play within community. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious, Carmen, like, what you think about this also, do you have concerns about this?
0: <laughs> uh, well, I think my first concern was already um, settled when we put creativity and <laughs> play last, but not maybe for the reasons you think. So what we also know about play is there needs to be enough safety in the environment in order to play. And especially if we're going to play with other people, there needs to be, it needs to be secure enough in order for us to move into that ventral vagal, like, I am okay with attending to the world with interest, you know, <laughs> I trust this situation enough to collaborate, you know, we have to be um, safe enough for our other survival system, which is our attachment system, right, like, it, we survive in tribe, we know that, we we know that our, our capacity to bond is one of the ways that we survive, and that is, when that comes on, it invites our nervous system into play and creativity and curiosity and trust. So the fact that we have eight months of like getting into that with each other. um, And the other thing is shared rhythm is one of the ways that we create enough safety, just having some consistency, just, just the fact that there's meetings at the same time every month and there's the same kind of you know, flow to it. We open with a poem. We like move into some embodiment. We have a little bit of turn-taking in rhythm and gathered silence and rhythm. Then we close, like just just all of that shared rhythm um, and, and the ritual, etc., enables our nervous systems to settle in our, you know, and hopefully come to rest in different states of well-being with each other. And so the fact that we've put Creativity and play as like the ninth cycle, you know, the ninth month in the larger cycle, Um, it's kind of built in that the play is gonna be easier by then. We'll have like gone through quite a bit. (laughs) And then when new people are joining the community you know there'll be these kind of intangible things that make play more um safe for them because they're like okay well these folks seem to be <laughs> okay like wow what a nice way of speaking to each other and you know like this is a nice feel okay i'm safe enough to like be vulnerable with um sharing my creativity or my vulnerability or my um expression right so that's kind of an intellectualized way of putting it. I, I mean, I guess what I would say is I am a very creative person uh, and my inner critic is is extremely uh, well-spoken. <laughs> and like very, very verbal very, and articulate very, exactly yeah I can and believe can be that like, quite concise or precise and considered <laughs> Like how, how they express um and so I wouldn't want to like taint you know by by like bringing that energy so I'm gonna need a bunch of months to just like work into enough safety to, you know, but, you know, you, you taught me something or you articulated something that I think I had already done, um, and taken on, which was that it's really important to do things we're not good at. Um, I mean, for a lot of different reasons, I can't quite remember the context we were in, but like it, it also becomes more playful, right? When it's like, there's not an expectation of performance, um, which is why I, sing really and like sing more publicly. It's like, I'm actually not good at it, but I don't want to be the type of person that demands that I or others are like good at a thing. I just see that as internalized whiteness and patriarchy and even capitalism that I like, it's always got to be somehow like good enough that you pay money or something. Like I don't, you know, and so I don't want to be that person. So it's a way to um, unhook from those like internalized systems of uh, oppression and dominance and othering that I just don't want to participate in so uh when I say that I don't know how to play like I joke I just mean totally. that I'm hard on myself yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna need to like work well, up to it <laughs> I also
1: want to like say that for some of us I think our experience of adult play has for me has felt really forced. Like you go to a workshop and it's like, now we're going to do an icebreaker. Yeah. And now I, we're
0: doing dot democracy.
1: Oh like, my god! <laughs> no. Like I literally, I the the idea of forced intimacy, unearned intimacy, is so gross to me. So I just want to say, we won't be doing that. There's no forced eye gazing. There's no like force. I don't even know. Like, oh, this is fun, but really, it's like not. And I and I have to say, like my constitution is such that I, I'm not good at pretending, right? Like, like if there's an elephant in the room, I'm like, there's an elephant in the room. It has a trunk. It's this big. Let's talk about it. Right. Which is like the same thing with like forced player first. And like, I just, everything in my constitution is like, okay, have you ever been in therapy where they're like, we're going to pretend like the person is in the chair. It's like gestalt, right? They're like, yeah. or or you're going to hit this pillow and pretend like it's whatever. Yeah. And that works for some people. That's great. Like, I'm like, I absolutely won't be doing that. Like <laughs> F all the way off. And like, you know, I'm going over here. So we won't be doing that unless people, if there's a group that wants to and finds that really great, awesome. But what I, I I'm interested in ways a that we can just explore what that means within collapse and then like I have no want to force people non-consensually to pretend like they're having fun so I'm also really <laughs> open to the conversation of like this is hard wah, wah. like we don't know how to do this and you know we're, we're kind of exploring this together and like you know and 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 maybe it flops Mm-hmm. And then we have to try something else. So I just really, I have to say that because I won't, I can't go to another like thing or be in another thing where you're just like, I, it seems like every other people are having fun or doing it, but, but
0: like, That's I, how I can't I imagine being it. the negative person. And I'm like the bad girl in the black row, back row wearing black. And I, I don't <laughs> want to be that person. I, I mean, sometimes I do, but I just mean that, like, don't force me. To be a judgmental prick okay (laughs) yes like and and don't force me to try to pretend like i'm happy
1: when i'm not like i'm a grief tender i'm kind of like like my idea of play is like i found a dead hummingbird and let's go figure out a beautiful place to put it and you know
0: mandalas yeah yeah or
1: like you know i mean i i appreciate the singing i'm a horrible singer but i like making up songs Mm -hmm. oh i could sing our collapse theme Okay. Let me, uh, it, it goes something like this. Collapse times. Come into a neighborhood near you. Collapse times.
0: That's all I'm going to do. Cause, yeah. <laughs> that was but funny. That was yeah. good. I love it because now it's stuck in my head. Collapse times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I totally love it. I, I want to be the background singer who gets to go, <laughs> collapse times.
1: Yeah, I'm we, like we not even to-
0: holding my thing. I'm going to like hold my headset. Collapse times i'm gonna be the tambourine person i shouldn't even be i i have i told you
1: i'm such a bad singer i was once in a group of like 150 women that were singing and um basically this person was like we're gonna start this in a c note and I like i'm like a c note? what does that mean so she goes over to the piano plays a note and i like raise my hand again and i'm like are you suggesting that we would match our voices to that. And everybody's like shaking their heads. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck is happening. (laughs) Anyways, I'm like, I really feel I should not be singing out loud for this. And they're like, no, everybody needs to sing. (laughs) The next day we're 150 of us are singing. And this woman walks around, she puts her finger up and I'm (laughs) like, Oh my God, she's going to come to me. She comes to me and is like, shh, everybody stop. And she goes,
0: you don't sing. (laughs) okay i am so sorry first of all that that happened (laughs) second of all you told her so you were right and like she was um, you know like don't worry anyway um third like rude uh and i can totally relate uh grade 10 uh forced drama production, right, got to be in it or whatever, had to be in an activity, everybody had to sing, you couldn't just like be an extra in in the musical, you had to like also sing, and forced tryouts to be the leads even if you knew you couldn't sing. Why? So we're in the chapel, Mr. Gray has us. It's fucking Pirates of Penzance, which I think <laughs> is like a soprano or something. And all the men are on, or boys are on one side and all the women are on the other side. And I remember every girl had to sing in this very high note, but who are you so speak? And then it was like, I'm a pirate horror. And we had to like back and forth. And I was like, no, I really, no, no. Same thing where I was like, I, no, I refuse. And Mr. Gray's like, okay, Becky, you go. Oh, okay, Sarah, you go. And he was doing it like rapid fire. Horrible. It was horrible. And he gets to me and I was like, Nh-. and he's like, we're going to do it again. Becky, go, Sarah, go. Do-. And I was like, Finally, I do it. And he's like, Stop. no. Yeah. I- <laughs> <laughs> like, like, just- and he burst out laughing. And I was oh, like, yeah, okay, Mr. Gray, I told you, I told you. Mr. Gray, Mr. I can okay, one last story. <laughs> so I also,
1: okay, so I was in stagecraft in high school. So like not wanting to be a singer or an actor, right? Yeah. And, um, the before the big production like the opening night the actors who were like great at singing and everything had this whole thing they would do where they would like put their hands in the middle and they'd be like something over the woods and da 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 and it was really beautiful <laughs> and then you know go and then the stagecraft people which was just kind of like this group of like you know kind of like burners and artsy hard... types yeah, yeah yeah. basically we put our hands in the middle like in front of them and we were like don't fuck up the show Shit. <laughs> And, break. <laughs> and like that's i'm bringing that up partially because i feel a little bit like that's what that should be our yeah um, you know You and show. i before we go
0: on every yeah. single call we'll go don't fuck up the show shit heads.
1: right and that's it right like yeah. i mean i i want to say we're somewhat informed and we will be you know we're we're gonna we're not gonna just cause a bunch of harm hopefully no. just just some and then we'll but, just, um, yeah. yeah and then we'll work with that but yeah don't fuck up the show shitheads that's our that's
0: our motto, motto. that's yeah. just our rallying cry between you and I I love it yeah, yeah. So I'm <laughs> well playful. was there anything else you want to say about um, anything else you're excited about before we, we move to close here about our threshold community project that we haven't highlighted yet
1: I am excited that this is a femme led space. And I'm saying that um, because so much of the collapse aware prepper space is yeah. male dominated.
0: Please look at hashtag prepper on Instagram and just like brace yourself for the amount of khaki and brown and blades. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, well, I mean, I, so I posted something on Instagram today that was, you know, some questions, some collapse questions and some answers. And basically, you know, it was like, um, what what skills do you have to offer your community? These things. And what I was reflecting on is that all of these things were based in relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that the femme perspective brings in a lot more because I just really feel like Resource hoarding and focusing on physical preparations is a just kind of an asshole move, and not actually prepping. Yeah, it's very vulnerable.
0: It's an important aspect, but if you are relying on that, you are vulnerable. You are only as strong as your connection and your network and your the reciprocity in the community. Yeah, that's I believe that hundred percent.
1: Totally. So I'm excited to be bringing this to be bringing a femme perspective or fem led space here because it just doesn't i i don't maybe people don't realize it's not really out there
0: we're just creating it because yeah just so you know we've been looking for a yeah. long time and it's it's really there there are f- a few voices especially if you go into like bushcraft or ancestral yeah. skills or um obviously the, the foraging, the herbalism, but even to a certain extent, um, like backcountry or off-grid living or things like that, you, you will find, uh, I, personally, I'm on Instagram more, so y- you will find some things if you're following, you know, bushcraft woman or, you know, those kinds of hashtags, but it is so, like, the, the, the results, you will, you will be astonished even at how meager they are in terms of the, the, the voices of women. And I've approached brands, you know, I'm not gonna say because I still hope they'll sponsor me. But like, <laughs> when I was like leading Quest, I was like, these are a few brands that like we recommend. And we recommend that people buy, and I'm leading Quest, and I'm gonna be putting stuff on uh, Instagram and things like that. And maybe they'll just, you know, like send us a free knife or something like that and explain. And, and like every single one was like, that's just not really a demographic we're pursuing. And it's like, yeah, I know. That's
1: yeah. why I'm inviting you because we're out here. Yeah. Meanwhile, we actually. Um, Spend a lot of the money, right? Like, we're the ones that decide a lot of that. So, yeah,
0: who do you think bought all this yeah. stuff for this earthquake kit and this hazmat kit? And, you know, who's leading this quest? It's me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, the other thing I want to say that I'm excited about is having gotten um, a few handfuls of applications in, I am like blown away at the quality of people that are like, excited about this and wanting to support and sign up and be i am just i know i am I'm sort of, yeah, I'm blown away. So I'm very excited. My head
0: is spinning. It's like, wow, what an amazing group of humans. And we're referring to our beta group, which is, you know, maybe about 30 folks that we'll be with in the fall and winter um, of 2020 before we open it up to the wider public. But uh, yeah, this is a very high caliber group. When I say high caliber, I just mean like, they are thinking, they are feeling, they have been like us figuring out like, Oh, okay. So maybe I have um, climate grief and concerns, and I'm gonna, you know, prep for whatever the natural disaster of my area is, et cetera. But through that, they're like, oh, wait. I should probably become trauma informed because of, you know, the aftermath of that particular natural disaster. Wait, that means that I need to get embodied, and I've, you know, actually been coming at this from a real kind of intellectual way, or, you know. Um, uh, um, book learning kind of way or, or yeah, individual. Oh, I, I actually need to get some relational skills because I don't know many people who want to talk about this with me and I need to be able to have conversations or, you know, Oh, I should be doing death work. It's like, they're seeing the ecosystem as well. And to see their applications is just like, wow. Yeah. Okay. This is actually a very cool party.
1: Yeah, it's. Yeah. I'm so like, I'm looking forward to learning mm-hmm. and leaning into this conversation. I also want to just say for anybody who wants to apply, the application can be quite fun. There's actually, you check all that apply that you think about often, and one of them is, is, um, oligarchic elite is killing us. Uh, there's Sorry, a, but, yeah, so yeah. there's a bunch of different ones that you can check, you know, and some people check them all. Some I'm people... like, who's
0: not worried about that?
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, pretty much all of them. I'm like, <laughs> y- yes, yes. You know, yes. some people Just, also
0: added some and I'm like, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah. Just so you know, between Holly and I, we both worry about every single one of the things on the list <laughs> that we put of like, here's, you know, 20 odd things that you might be worried about in terms of collapse. And if you check them all, <laughs> we're like, we probably should swipe right. Is that what you do if you're Yeah. Dating? Yeah, yeah. I don't right. remember. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and it's like, you know, there's like white supremacy, patriarchy,
1: ca- like late stage capitalism. Anyways, I'm like, who, who doesn't, who isn't
0: concerned about these things? Like for real. So not um, that you have to check every single one of them. We're just saying, don't feel badly if you do.
1: (laughs) And within the community, we will certainly be holding, you know, all of these things and trying to really see how we can respond to these, you know? So anyways, what about you? Is there anything else that you're really excited about that we haven't covered?
0: Well, just, you know, just what we just said about the, the incredible individuals. (laughs) It's like, wow. Um, You know, we, we, you and I have uh, programming, like that's going to happen pretty much on the daily. But even if a person only shows up once a month to collapse the hour, that's something I'm very excited oh, about. Oh Yeah. Yeah. A pub style conversation with, you know, Holly and I, and then two other friends where we like talk about collapse things. Um, and everybody's welcome to, you know, bring a beverage of your choice, uh, and perhaps even some bar snacks to enjoy over zoom. And, uh, well, we'll just have collapse conversation. Um, that's like you know intimate within the community i'm I'm excited about those things because they they have happened in real life you know in mm. non non digital ways um occasionally uh in in my social sphere, but not nearly enough, not nearly enough and so i'm I'm very excited about that so last question for this episode um Holly, what changes have you made or are you? in process of, of making to live in pandemic times. And just curious, you personally, how long do you think this is going to go on for? Yeah, uh, I'll do
1: the length one first. So as far as COVID, I'm imagining at least another year. Well, and I want to say, I'm in the so-called United States. So that feels different than for people who are in Canada or, you know, across the globe in different ways. Um, So I imagine this is going to go on for quite some time. And I'm just saying like a year at the least. Uh, And I felt that way. I don't know. My partner and I keep being like, oh yeah, this is for sure like two or three years of kind of like rolling surges of this. Uh, And then I also want to say, it's not just about COVID. I imagine there's going to be more and more pandemics and different things like this. So I don't know that I think it's ever gonna end. Um, so, the ways I'm preparing, for one, kind of just look like what we were already kind of preparing or doing, um, you know, which is trying to localize as much as possible, building community. I have to say, though, within um, COVID times and social distancing, you know, we've been getting really creative about outdoor spaces, um, activities that feel like um, my nephews and my partner do archery and and that's like something we can and you know we can do while social distancing. and so we're kind of just doing more of that. I'm trying to think if there's anything else um, I think another way is of preparing for me is just really holding dear the times that I can physically be with the people that I love. Not that I wasn't doing that before, but there's this way where I'm trying to get even more skilled at savoring the in-person times that we can even sit, you know, outside 12 feet apart that feels safe. Um... I think those are some of the major ones. I'm curious for you, because maybe then I can think of some other really good things.
0: No, I'm just saying. Maybe we can solve it. While we're just... yeah. yeah. I'll start with the, the time thing too. Uh, pretty much, yeah, since the beginning, I was like, no way this is less than five years. Yeah. Um, and I also think it's different in the US than um, in Canada. In the past, I would have been like, well, anyway, I don't even have to tell you. Um, that might just be mean. But I think now I'm... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, right? I think what you're saying is we were talking about this before we started recording. I was like, I don't know if people in the so-called United States really realize what's happening here, which is A, we are in a failed state 100% at this point. Mm -hmm. B, our passports don't work. Mm -hmm. So like... At one point, you and I had a plan where if I needed to, I could come up possibly. Mm -hmm. I I mean, and I love this because we had this conversation and Ruben was there and Ruben was like, well, it would take a lot of really good luck and things going your way for you to even be able to make it up here in a a full on collapse scenario, which is totally true. But just like he was like, come on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
0: you can come up here if you make it. Way that to was go. Exactly it. it was exactly yeah. it. Was like, yeah, bring the tiny house, bring the equines. We we have we have the place at Ruben's parents' house. They're open to it. We've already passed this, and he's like, yeah, sure, we can have this conversation. Good luck. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally. Well, and now that's just not even a possibility. And I I guess I'm wondering how much people in the U.S. are really aware mm-hmm. of. A, how mishandled this was and how fucked we are.
0: So I don't know if that's what you were saying would be mean. Uh, yeah. But... And so I'm only going to talk about that within the threshold community. Okay. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, I still think five years for the U.S. before there's any, even if there was a vaccine, even if there was a vaccine, that's a large scale cooperation dilemma is delivery of a vaccine. To people who need it, and just name one that has successfully been undertaken in the United States in the last seventy years, right? So, I think um, for for most Americans, this is this is what this is, um, and if you're over the age of fifty, this is. I hope. Yeah. Anyway. I don't have high hopes for yeah. um, the, the, the US anyway. But in terms of like, yeah, COVID um, and like, let's say uh, end of um, social distancing in schools and things like that, you know, or like going back to school in a regular way. In Canada, I still don't see um, a future in the next two or three years without some measure because of exactly what we're in now is um, though we are changing behaviorally, and we may have scientific uh, interventions that come online that can um, help us to try to um, alle- alleviate some of the most acute pressures on healthcare systems, et cetera. Just the critical mass of the, the problem, the global scale of the problem, and the fact that there are other coronavirus challenges out there in the world that now, now COVID-19 has um, taken a whole bunch of our cognitive, physical, emotional resources, you know. And so all of that attention thins our efforts on anything else. And guess what? There were other issues. There wildfires. There's no water in yeah. Flint. There's no water at, you know... Uh, over a hundred indigenous nations in what's known as Canada don't have clean drinking water, and some of them, I, I just don't believe ever will. So, um, in terms of like, so when are we going to be able to have like dinner parties, you know, together? Um, I think that I wouldn't be having, you know, let's say a dinner party where I'm hosting people until after a vaccine had been in circulation for at least a year. And we knew what the impacts of that were and the efficacies of that were. And so, so now you can just work back from that. There isn't one now. (laughs) There's not going to be one in 2020. There would be a year when it would have to be out. There would be the amount of time it would take to uh, manufacture. Let's give that a year. The amount of time you'd have to take to distribute. Let's give that half a year. So like, we're, we're still kind of in, you know, getting kind of close to the four to five year window before anything would, um, kind of move me to be like, yeah, I feel comfortable getting on a plane now.
1: Oh yeah. I'm, yeah. I mean, I've pretty much decided that I likely won't be flying anywhere ever again yeah. I for, for various reasons, but this was sort of the kind of final, like, okay, that's not a real thing anymore totally. for me, mm-hmm. um, yeah, And I guess I want to say, like, as you're talking about this, this is not a new conversation or idea for me around how long and, mm-hmm. um, you know, really needing to, this is a long game mm-hmm. and planning for that. And I feel a lot of grief around this. Mm-hmm. I feel like as you were talking, there was just this moment where I was like, yeah, like we as a collective human body, have not prepared for this. Mm -hmm. And there are some really scary and griefful things that are happening and are going to continue to happen. And we don't even know when, if, how we can see our loved ones. So, like, you're one of those people for me that, Mm -hmm. like, I was going to come visit you last year and then a lot of things happened and my sister died and I didn't get to come, right? And now it's like pretty much that's not going to happen, right? So like you and I may never share physical space together again, most likely, right? Like I wish you and Ruben could come here and see where I'm at. And anyways, I just want to like just – give a moment mm-hmm. for that grief.
0: Um, mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Yeah. It it hits me when I think about like, oh yeah, any friend in the US, I'm like, oh I'm not actually gonna see you. Yeah. I, I you know, if I see you in my lifetime, we'll have silver hair and I'm gonna look fabulous with silver hair. But that's you will. How, yeah, that's how I see it happening. I I think even about dear friends who live two hours away, a ferry ride away, I still don't know when I'm going to see them. And that gets me like I can't live in that space of contemplating how long will that be. But when I think about, say, my son, who's 16, Mm -hmm. and I think about him needing to grapple with and contemplate, I mean, he can't possibly grasp the magnitude of the lost promise of a future. That's when I go, okay, how then will we live? And so it's like, all right, this is, you know, until he's a emerging adult, this is what we're doing. And so changes that I'm making are exactly like you said, you know, emphasizing kind of comfortable outdoor living spaces with like really good ventilation so that teenagers can come over and have dinner because, you know, my kid's not the type to be like, hey, let's go out and go for a hike. Like, you know, they want to play Dungeons and Dragons. So we need a gazebo with a fire pit. And like, (laughs) I totally recognize the privilege because we rent, you know, we don't own land. So there could also be some um, housing precarity there in the future if things go weird or off the rails, you know, but um, trying to think about, okay, so within the parameters of safety, and and what are the risks that we feel are kind of mitigated, you know, like what's the best we can do under these circumstances, and we, I think, have much more stringent standards than like 99% of the people we know or see out there, maybe not people we know, I think we know some pretty great people who are um, pretty dialed on their COVID safety, Um, but it's my son it's my son it yeah. gets me in that uh the grief just is so it's just it's so i can't even describe it it's neptunian if anybody <laughs> is like astrologically with me it's just like massive and watery and it's just eddies that want to like you know and i i do feel that my grief is like i'm I'm screaming at the bottom of the ocean that I, this is not the world I want for my child, but this is the world we're getting. Yeah. And so,
1: and, and for me, there's a piece around being really honest about it. There's, um, when I became collapse aware and just, I think more aware around oppressive systems, I had, all these moments where I was like, oh my gosh, every adult in my life has been lying to me. And it was really painful, like actually really grateful for me to recognize that. And maybe they didn't know some of them, but, um, I have become committed to having honest conversations with people younger than me. Mm -hmm. I've been in a lot of conversations. I used to do advising for college women and like, so, you know, sometimes they would start to ask me like, things aren't right, right? Like something's happening. And I would be like, take a deep breath basically and be like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So let me tell you what I see happening. And they would literally say to me, you are the only adult having this conversation with me. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And, so, and, and I also realized that the elders in my life that have been most helpful to me are the people who have been willing to look at me and be like, I'm sorry, my generation didn't do enough.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's meant the world to me. And so I'm really dedicated to doing that for the young ones who are now coming along in an even more fucked up world. Well, right? can
0: I also say it's the, it's the elders who have said, I'm sorry, my generation didn't do enough. And fuck all the ways that we've justified that, or that we um, move to preserve and get ours, or sell out, or you know, like because <clears throat> it wouldn't be enough for somebody to say sorry if they kept flying to fucking Mexico every year. Totally. Well, you and know? this is... and this has been hard in friendships. This has been hard. I mean, I have definitely. Um, completed friendships with people who could not sit with me at the threshold yeah. and, refi- and even, you know, got uncomfortable or pissy or distant that I would keep bringing it up or, you know, I, and I've completed friendships because it's like, you know what? Our values are just too much in opposition, even though you are generous with me and you, I have benefited <laughs> from all of that, but um. It's not enough to wring your hands and, you know, occasionally write a check to a philanthropy or to a person or whatever. It's like, no, I need some like pretty radical engagement. And it's those elders who are like, uh, yeah, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to grieve with you. I'm going to, you know, acknowledge my culpability and, and I'm going to advocate now for you and totally. defend you. And I'm going to celebrate you and um and that- you.
1: That overall is what I hope we do in the threshold community is we're creating, we're cultivating adults, but not just adults, elders, Mm -hmm. right, that can help hold this conversation, myself included, right, Mm -hmm. Um, that can help hold this conversation and that can look each other in the face and be like, this isn't right and here's what we're doing now. So Mm -hmm. I really look at this as like an experiment Mm -hmm. in elderhood in these times. And and that piece really excites me actually to be able to step into that, hopefully um, together Mm -hmm. and, and really do that because we are lacking elders and, you know, It took me years to find a supervisor. So Francis Weller is one of my main supervisors who could have that conversation with me. I would say Francis Weller and Carolyn Baker were two people that I was like, Oh, thank God. Mm -hmm. Here's an elder in the room that at least can with humility, show me a little bit of the map of how to navigate this terrain. And so that's what I'm hoping, you know, there's, a a move that happens where at some point, we all want to belong. We all want to be welcomed. And once that happens, the next move is we become the person welcoming. And that, that's what I want to do within this community is become people who are welcoming and who are
0: being the elders. So Mm. I would have to start practicing now because there is not enough time. For yeah us or practicing yesterday year. yeah <laughs> like and and the,
1: the one other thing i want to say around the changes we might have been doing with covid uh we've had this conversation so preppers are actually somewhat secretive about how prepped they are and so, Except you know, because
0: I'm always blabbing and Ruben's like, <laughs> well, what? same you with really me, delete that from social
1: media. Totally. Don't yeah. like, totally. My <laughs> Prescott's always like, we're not telling people that, or like, <laughs> don't, you know, like we don't want anyone to know that. And <laughs> I'm like, Oh God. Yeah. Okay. So all I'm saying, I'm saying that because there's things that I feel comfortable talking about within this community that mm-hmm. I won't talk about on a, a podcast, or I'm not going to post about certain preps or
0: what we have or don't have or what I would, but I'm not allowed to, that that would be non-consensual. That would be violating consent with my partner.
1: Yeah. I think (laughs) that's true for me too. I'm sort of like, I'll tell all the people, all the things. And Prescott's like, don't do Do
0: that, which is, which is smart. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: Anyways, I just want to put a plug in for that.
0: Well, thanks for another great conversation, Holly. I'm super excited to gather the threshold with you. Thanks for doing this with me. And, and um, yeah, I just, I commit to deepening our relationship and our reciprocity and support and our love um, even in this most dire of times and um, most difficult of topics. This is exactly the kind of work I want to be doing and the kind of Um, relationships I want to be having so thank you for inviting me into it
1: yeah thank you too I just I just love you and I also want to say after having taken quite a step back from work after my sister died this is my reentering in a way there's a couple other things I'm doing but um, I can't begin to express how much I appreciate you holding me through this like I just love you and I am so grateful. So thank you. I love you too.
0: See it at the Threshold. Yeah. Read all about the Threshold community at thethresholdcommunity.com. Right now we're establishing relationships and practice rhythms with our founding members, but doors will be open once again for membership in early 2021. And on our website, you'll find the application. If you're new to the show and want to hear more content like this, scroll through the entire episode archive at numinouspodcast.com. If you're looking specifically for prepper content, I recommend you begin with episode 55 featuring energy analyst Nicole Foss on how to build a lifeboat, and then episode 119 with John Michael Greer on prepping for the long descent. Today, my listener shout out goes to my one dedicated follower in Russia, who keeps downloading every time a new episode comes out this past month. My husband and I went to St. Petersburg for our honeymoon. The Hermitage Museum was on my bucket list, and we had a really wonderful time in Russia. A wonderful young woman as our personal tour guide. It was phenomenal. I have really good feelings when I think about Russia and the people there. I was sort of amazed actually, when I got my ancestry DNA results, and I didn't have any Balto Slavic blood, because I've been fascinated by Russian history and folklore since I was a young child. I do have ethnic German ancestry, the Bessarabian people, but they were actually colonizers on Moldovian land at the edge of the Red Sea. So I think maybe my fascination with Russia is an intergenerational inheritance of being from a place. But not really of a place, so I you know I think that 's a common sentiment for so many of us who are settled far from our ancestral homelands, but yeah, the whole Baltic region and Slavic languages. Um, Yeah, it's been a fascination for me for a long time. I actually took a year-long Russian history course in university with a professor who was um, visiting from Moscow for a year, and he made me aware of the importance of permafrost, not only ecologically but anthropologically. Like, speaking of collapse times, hey? So, yeah, he really highlighted how much permafrost has shaped the Russian people and culture. So, of course, in these collapse times, my friend... I raise an icy glass of vodka and toast with grief and love to Russia, its people, and its disappearing permafrost. You can follow me on Instagram at Carmen Spaniola and be the first to find out about all my upcoming offerings by going to my website and signing up for my newsletter at carmenspaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care.